Welcome. Here at The Bridge Church, we exist to help you connect to God, grow with family, and serve our city. We hope today's message will allow you to grow deeper in your connection to God. Enjoy the message. This is what we call a gender-fluid society. And the reality of living in a society like that means that there are people who are rejecting what it means to be transgender. And the church has kind of led that charge. But in leading the charge against the transgender community, this is what's happening. 50% of transgender people, uh, the community, struggles with depression. 40% of the transgender community has attempted suicide. Think about that for a second. Has attempted suicide. The transgender community is more likely more likely to have police brutality, more likely not to get a job, more likely to be arrested, and more likely to be abused while in jail. And so this is the crazy thing. The transgender community and people who are trying to figure out gender really don't have a place to go because the church has led the charge of saying that they are illegitimate and the the community and the culture has followed them. And so that's why we have whole churches erected to say, this is a gay church. This is a trans-accepting church. Because they have nowhere to go. And the crazy thing is, as I preach this sermon, there are people sitting in their chairs like, what are you going to say? What, what side are you going to land on? You know what I'm saying? Because they're worried that I'm not going to uphold the scriptures, and I will. But I think the Jesus of Nazareth that left heaven to come down to earth to be with people wants to be with the transgender community. And so we have this tension that we have to uphold. We have this tension of upholding the scriptures and this tension of upholding the ethic of love. And so as we wrestle with what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman. Why let the culture define us? Why not let the Creator speak to us? He has spoken already in His Word. If you have your Bible, would you go to the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 1? Made it very easy for you this morning. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, we wouldn't do that anymore because we have tasks, so we can just go right to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So notice what we say there, that in the beginning, very pregnant sentence. In the beginning, it's saying that God was not bound by time. He started things. We only understand time in the way that we are captured by it. So we say, what time does church start? What time does the game begin? What time is dinner? What time should I leave? Because we have to follow time. But this is the father of time. He creates time. So what we understand is that not only did he create time, but he created all things. So in the beginning, God created. That means that he is the original original. He is the first beginning. He is the standard of standards. He is the beginning. And in his cultivation of the earth, 
He begins to design. He begins to create. He begins to shape. And in his creating and in his shaping, he designed the world. Genesis 1, 4. It says that God saw the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. Now God just flings light, but he puts it there, but then he begins to, he begins to almost like a painter or someone sculpting, begins to shape things. Later in verse 14, it will say that the shaping of the lights really was this imagery of putting night and day and seasons and months and years. And so God was ordering time and giving us a designation of how time looks based upon light and darkness. He separated things. He even says in 1.6, let there be expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And so it's saying that he's putting water on the ground and water above with the clouds of the sky. And God is designing, creating, and shaping all with the purpose of his design. All with his intention. Everything was done intentionally by the original, original, by the first mover. And so in God creating and God shaping, he is not creating less value in one and more value in the other. In other words, he doesn't say night is more valuable than day or day is more valuable than night. It's actually in order to show contrast and design. He's putting something together. He is an artist. And in being an artist, he shapes and makes and creates. So God designs the world. He designs all things. One of the things that he says there, though, is he saw that the light was good, it says. And throughout the chapters, he'll continue to keep saying that. It was good. He'll look at everything and he'll begin to say that phrase, that it was good. And in communicating that it was good, he was saying that this actually meets the expectations of my design. It's matching up with my intention. That's exactly what I wanted. I didn't want the light like that, so I separated it. I didn't want the days like that, so I separated it. I didn't want the waters like that, so I separated it. In fact, later he'll say that it's not good for man to be alone, so he creates woman. So God does not leave the creation as it is. He flings it in the air, but he continues to design it till it's good. In other words, this is the way I want it. So God is creating and evaluating. He didn't make man and say, I like that? It's good, right? No, he actually created and evaluated himself because he's the original original. He's the standard bearer. He looked at himself and said, and gave himself a high five. You know what's crazy? You ever be in a plane and look out in the plane and you see all of creation and it captures your imagination? It captures your heart? You ever be on a bridge and a mountain and just look and you just are blown away by the beauty? You ever look sometimes in the ocean and just there's something about it that pulls you in? And what that word is, is beauty. It's beautiful. 
The sun coming up over that mountain is beautiful. And it, it is difficult for our culture to believe that there is a creator, but we have no problem saying something is beautiful. What's crazy is that I thought about this the other day. Do you know that there are people who will look at, a paint, at the painting of creation and say, that's, man, that artist is good. But they won't look at the creation and think an artist made it. Isn't it fascinating that we look at pictures of creation and celebrate, but we don't think there is a creator? And so I have other stuff to say, but if you don't believe this, you definitely ain't going to believe what I say later. So he designs and he creates, he shapes. He does it in such a way where he thinks it's good. Well, God does not simply make a world. He makes people for that world. In fact, people were his intention. In the same way that when my first daughter was born, I created the playroom for her. I did everything with her in mind. In the same way God creates and shapes the world, and he places man there. And man is the pinnacle of the earth. Man is the vice regent. He is the head. He is the dominant one. He is the figure that will be the greatest expression of himself and his glory. And it says in Genesis 1 verse 26, he says to himself, let us make man. It's time. We've set the room up. It's time to make man. But here's the thing. Let's make him in our image and our likeness. So God created man in his image, repeated. In the image of God, he created the male and female. He created them. And so we see in Genesis 1 that God designs, he creates, he has intention, he has purpose. And in so doing, the expression of himself, the expression of his design is male and female. And what's important to note is that word there, image. That man is made in his image, that men and women are made in his image, and that the theologians would use the idea of the Imago Dei, that people are made in God's image. And because they're made in the originator's image, that means that they have inherent value and they have inherent worth simply because they are made in his image. And in so doing, God shapes what we are to be like. God makes animals, but the animals are not the greatest expression of his image. Animals are not made in the image of God. And there is something without any kind of theological background, there's something that we know good and well. We know that there is not the same kind of worth we place on an animal that we do humans. I was watching a video the other day and a woman was about to drown in some water. While she was in there, a person jumped in and they went and they got her out. And there was this amazing you know, picture of him sacrificing his own life to get the woman. And then while she was coming up and trying to get air, she said, my dog, my dog. And I was like, forget the dog. <laughs> For the dog. Now, that's me, and that maybe I need to pray about that. But, <laughs> but if you see the video, you realize this woman was about to die. 
And I just had this thought, man. And, the, and But the person rescuing her kind of looked like, no, I can't get the dog. But if she had said, my baby, my child, we know immediately we would all be celebrating. In fact, we would think if he died lifting that child up and went down, we would think it was worth it. Because of the inherent value that is placed on people. So think about this. We, we get that, right? We get that people are made in the image of God. That means they have worth and they have value. But we, we understand that when it comes to death, but when we think about life, like if that's the case, that people have worth, value, and they intrinsically matter, that means that racism, when we look and we devalue people because of their ethnicity and we oppress them simply because of their ethnicity, that is devaluing the image of God and it is an assault on God's glory. But we could also say the same thing about porn. Because pornography devalues a woman and it limits what she was intended to be. We can say the same thing about sex trafficking, but we can say the same thing about gossip. Yeah. That's good. Because gossip takes a person and it takes their weaknesses and glorifies them over their strengths. In fact, you don't even get to know them. You begin to define them by their weaknesses. That wasn't God's intention. You see, all things, all things, all things that devalue the worth of a person devalues the glory of God in that person. It's an assault on God's glory. When we take what God intended and we treat it as less. Could you imagine one day walking into Payless and seeing some Jordans? <laughs> I mean, where you see shacks up in there, right? <laughs> Could you imagine seeing some Jordans? You walk up in there, you're like, Yo, what are these J's doing here? Why are here? Like, well, we sell them at $20. And you would think to yourself, why would you sell something so valuable, so cheap? The minute that you see that insignia of Jordan on there, we should immediately know, unless it's a knockoff, healthy analogy, praise God. But the minute we see that, the minute we see that, we know this has worth, this is value, you know this is worth much more. And when we click on that screen and we look at that woman and she is being used and defined by sex, it is the, it is the essentially a payless version of that woman. That's good, Doc. That's good, Doc. When we, when we define and describe ethnicities, when we devalue people, how they look and how they talk, when we gossip about people, all those things are a payless person. And God does not create payless people. In fact, Come he pays on. most because he sent his son to die for them. So he takes everything for people. People are not cheap. People aren't cheap. So we shouldn't cheapen people. We should hold them up with great value, great worth. And so you see this. When, when God creates, it is in many ways like a kingdom. Kingdom, the king would be there and he would put a statue of himself outside of the kingdom to show off his glory. And that statue they would call an icon. And we are the statue. We are the glory of God. And God made it to be that way. He intended it to be that way. Genesis 2, verses 23 through 24. Now God not only has men and women created in the image of God, but he also says that the way that I designed you, 
I, I've placed body parts on you. Now, if we're big people, right? So penises and vaginas, that's a medical word. Get over it. But he makes those things for one another. And this is not new information. I've just told you. <laughs> they, they've actually been created for one another. If I have to explain that. Anyway, so <laughs> the man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And this is the first poem in the Bible because he immediately sees this woman and he gets excited. He says, shall, she shall be called woman because she has been taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and he'll be joined to his wife and they'll become one because they were intended for one another. What the man was created <coughs> The woman was created, and they were created for one another. And this, unfortunately, when we say that man was created for woman, and woman was created for man, this might be the most politicized statement the church ever says. We hear these phrases more on CNN or we hear them in Congress. And it's oftentimes some evangelical leader up there says, Man was great for a woman, woman was great for man. That's all it is. And shut up. And, you know, we have this, this kind of rancor and back and forth. And so it's always, in fact, it's all, when, when someone says a man is created for a woman, a woman is created for a man, it's often a spit in the face of the homosexual community. Yeah. Yeah. It's meant, it's, it's, it's codified shut up. We don't want to hear all that. And what's crazy and the challenge is is that God not only created the body, but he created the mind. And so for someone who is struggling with homosexuality or they're struggling with transgender issues, they may even be a Christian, but they're wrestling because they have these deep feelings on the inside. And they said, I know God made my body, but he also made my mind. He made my feelings. And if he made my, my mind and he made my feelings, then why do I feel this way? And they are wrestling. And we've, we've cheapened the entire story by just simply saying, man and woman, that's it. Without realizing there's so much more to this story. I have more to say here, but obviously we know that in this story, sin enters into this world. And entering into this world, things don't work the way that God has intended. Every day when you turn your TV on and you see an election that's crazy and you say to yourself, it shouldn't be this way, you are speaking of a designer's intention. Wow. That's it. Whenever we see what's happening in Aleppo or whatever you see even here in Brooklyn, when you see death and murder, when we're, we're seeing young men getting killed by cops, we're saying to ourselves, it shouldn't be this way. We're speaking of a designer. We're speaking of an intended way it should be. In Matthew 19, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees come to him. And when coming to him, they are asking about divorce. And they're saying, man, Jesus, we know we can get divorced for a lot of different reasons. What do you say? Now, Jesus will eventually say that the only reason you should get a divorce is based upon adultery. And I'm sure that... Um, we can talk about emotional issues and physical abuse as well. But, but Jesus says that's the only way to get a divorce. And 
the reason why he was saying that is because at the time, people were getting divorces simply because if a woman couldn't cook. And, and at that time, a woman, you know, we say it's, it's hard to find, uh, now we say it's hard to find a good man, but at the time, in the Proverbs, you know, it's, it's saying who could find a, a, a good woman? And the reason why was because men, you, to be a woman, you were dependent on a man at that time. So it was nothing to get a divorce and find another woman. It was just on to the next one. And so Jesus is having to clarify this in the culture. When he clarifies this in Matthew chapter 19, he ends up quoting Genesis chapter 2. He quotes this idea of man and woman being together. But he adds to it. And this is what he says. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. What he was saying there was, when a husband and a wife come together, God is placing them together. He's creating something, and he has intention for the family that will be. And notice this idea of separating. Remember earlier in Genesis how God was separating waters and separating day and night. It spoke to design. And so he's saying, in a sense, Jesus is saying, as God creates men and women, he's saying, don't redesign the design. Don't separate what God has meant to be together. So, when I, when I say these things, the culture will sit and say, amen, divorce, that's bad. And the church will say, that's bad too, we both agree. And if we say, adultery's bad, well, the church and the culture agree. But when we talk about homosexuality and the potential of homosexuality redesigning God's design, there's a part of us in the church that says, that's bad. But the culture says, not so fast. In fact, the culture would say that this actually defines whether or not we're a legitimate church. How we feel about this one issue. You know, the tension I feel as I say all these things is this. On the one end, I want to uphold people who are in the homosexual and transgender community up high and tell them you have great value in this community. You matter here. We care about you here. And I will not allow you to be devalued in this room, in this community. But see, we also hold up the word of God. And so as we fight to help people know that they've been made in the image of God and they have incredible value, we also fight to speak to the fact that the Bible is their picture of what God has intended for them. And in many ways, we almost have to be one or the other. You either uphold the word of God and we say everyone else in the community get out or you have to disfigure the word of God just so that the homosexual community and the transgender community can feel like they're accepted. And only the Holy Spirit can help us do both. Yeah. And 
we will fight for both at this church. Amen. Good, and we will figure it out. Because just in the same way, see, this is this is this is this is why the homosexual issue and the transgender issue have become big issues in the church. It's only because they're public and seen. You see, porn is happening right now. It happened last night. And because of that, we, we don't talk about it on the same level. We don't make it a bellwether issue. We don't make it the issue of the church. We also don't make adultery the issue of the church, nor do we make divorce the issue of the church. But those things are happening all the time. We just can't see it. You see, if we could see adultery the way we see homosexuality, we might add that to the things that we yell about and scream about. But the fact of the matter is, we see someone that we think is gay, or we see someone that is looking transgender, and there's a part of us that feels this weight. We don't know how to respond to them. We don't know how to care for them. And so we make a big push to keep them out of the church. And as the pastor of this church, we will be accepting of the homosexual community and the transgender community, and you're going to have to work through that. We will be accepting of that community. But one of the things that we've always said is it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. And we will also simultaneously preach the word of God. And we will figure this out. You see, this is the deep part. I don't know who may be transgender, and I don't know who's even struggling with homosexuality, but my time in ministry and my time in counsel, the people right now, right now, the guy that you think is the toughest guy may have some issues, some gender issues he's wrestling with. In fact, I can guarantee there are people right now that you say to yourself, that's the picture of masculinity, and on the low, they have things that they're wrestling with. Yeah. And the same thing with women. So it's, it's, it, this, this issue is so deep and pervasive that we can't just simply say the way you look on the outside defines the way that we treat you. There's got to be something. There's got to be an ethic of love that goes much deeper. Here's what we have to understand. Love does not mean total agreement. It's good. It's good. It's good. And they got a divorce over what I would consider things that are just non-biblical. They just they couldn't stand each other anymore and they got a divorce. Mm-hmm. And as I counseled them and counseled them and counseled them, they got a divorce and the guy came in with another girl and the girl came in with another guy. I totally disagreed with their divorce, but I totally accepted them and I The, the woman had committed adultery. I completely rejected the idea of her adultery. But I completely accepted the guy that she had committed adultery with into our community. Wow. I did not accept their act, but I totally accepted them as people. And that is the tension we have with grace and truth. And there will be times when people think, as a church, we are shrinking too much on the word. And there will be times when people are thinking we sh- we're shrinking too much on, if the homosexual community might think we're shrinking back too much from them. And the reality is because we're trying to do two things at once, we're going to screw it up. And only the Holy Spirit can allow us to be both at the same time. And so in the same way, those who are gay or struggling with the homosexual community, we will bless and love them, but I won't be their way. 
I will love you, but I will not endorse. You see, there is that balance. And we will have to struggle and work through it as a church. There are, there are people who will say, man, I'm, I'm wrestling with this and I'm trying to figure this out and I, I want to bless and I want to love people. And there will be people who are, 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 are homosexual or feeling that tension of being homosexual and they're wrestling through it and they don't know what to do. And both of us have the same issue. We have to love the gay and transgender community by faith. And the gay and transgender community must accept the word of God by faith. You see, the way you break the power of porn is by faith. The way you break the power of adultery is by faith. When you feel like getting a divorce, the only thing that's going to keep you in that marriage is faith. And if you, you're feeling like you want to be with the same gender person, and we tell you, well, God's word says something different, well, either you can believe what God's word says by faith, or you can think that God's word is not God's word. But it is by faith. It is by faith. It is by trusting and believing that the God of heaven and earth created, designed, has an intention. And it is through faith that the yokes get broken. It is by faith. And you say, well, you know, I had a friend who was like, well, I guess you're saying we just, you should just pray the gay away. I was like, well, I wouldn't put it that way, but I think that Jesus rose from the dead. And if Jesus rose from the dead, I don't think there's anything that's impossible. For him. I don't think any kind of sexual issue, I don't think there's any issue that's impossible for him if Jesus rose from the dead. And so in light of that, we, we look at this and we realize that there is a tension that we have. Now we still are left with a question, which is what is still a man and what is a woman? So I want to close and, and in conclusion say a few things. In Genesis 3.6, it reads this way. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. And if you see this picture right here, it is of the woman being tempted by Satan, and it's the man standing there, not doing anything, not saying anything. And as the man is standing there, he is silent and passive watching the woman do something he knew good and well God said not to do. And the tension that's in the text is, here is a man allowing his wife, the woman, to go away from what God has designed to do. So Adam is silent. Genesis 3.12 says, The man said, after God comes to him, and God begins to rebuke him, in a sense. The man said, the woman whom you gave to me, you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. And now we're seeing blame start to come into the world. And sin enters into the world. And man goes from, reject, from rejecting the idea of initiating to now blaming the woman for the problem that he had. You see, here in the text we see that men 
are not called to be passive. Men are called to be initiators. They're called to step up to evil and reject evil. And when sin entered into the world, immediately we see the man, and we see that the man is starting to put blame on the woman. The woman that you gave me is the problem. And that is another picture of passivity, of rejecting his own design. And so as sin enters into the world, this is what we see. God tells them what the curse would be. And then in Genesis 3.16, it reads this way. To the woman, he says, your desire shall be for your husband now, and he shall rule over you. And so when, when sin enters into the world, men start backing up and being passive. Men start backing up and blame shifting and saying the woman is the problem. And now God is saying to the woman, part of the consequences of the fall is that women, it says, your desire will be for your husband. Now, it's not saying you're going to lust after your husband constantly. Men would love for that verse to mean that. It's <laughs> not what that verse means. If you were to look in the next chapter, it's a story of Cain and Abel. And in that story, God tells Cain and Abel that, he, that sin is crouching at his door and its desire is to rule over you. So you see that word rule, the picture of ruling over is this desire to take over the leadership, to take over the headship. So what we have is, part of the fall is, men shifting the blame and rejecting leadership and women saying, I'll leave. Y'all want to leave? Somebody's got to leave. That's good, Doc. If you're not going to lead, I'll lead. And that's what the text is saying. The consequence of male passivity is women having to overcompensate. Come on, Doc. You see, boy, boy, when you talk about gender roles, it's so easy to talk about the dudes, boy. You can just be like, yeah, dudes. And when you talk about women, women are like, This week, this week, I was preparing, and dudes act like I'm about to go to war. They're like, "You okay, Doc? You okay?" <laughs> and they're like, you got you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you see and understand that text, you understand our world. You understand why it's hard for you to be a man, be with a man, young ladies, because if your dad wasn't there and all other men they try to get at you when you walk down the street, why isn't it? Wouldn't it be hard to give over the leadership to a bunch of fools? <laughs> I mean, in other words, in other words, y'all waiting for me to under tell you about submission? It's hard to even talk about submission when you got all these knuckleheads out here. Knuckleheads, though. Like, in other words, why would you want to join a business where the boss is crazy? You're right, though. Why would you want to be a part of something where the leadership is just chaotic? And why would a woman want to submit to the men we have today? No, submission can't be understood until you understand leadership. So, so this, that's the fall, right? But then, you know, here's what the Bible says. Now, this is mostly in terms of marriage, but in, in Ephesians 5, verse 21, here's what you have to understand. I put this out of order so that y'all can just chill. 
Ephesians 5.21 says, Submit to one another out of reverence of Christ. So before the Bible tells a woman to submit, the Bible actually says, submit one to another. So it is saying there should be a marriage. So it's actually saying that before. So it's saying a marriage or relationship should start off with mutual submission. When I, when I heard my wife and I, uh, we actually don't need music yet. I thought this was going to be like an intimate moment, but it's not. So. So, submit to one another. So, so it's saying mutual submission. So when, I, when my wife and I we got married, the fact of the matter is, I'll never forget, we had a waterbed, right? And I was, and, you know, we had, I tried to make this waterbed, right? So I'm making the waterbed, and I'm putting it together, and I remember I was trying to screw this thing in, and then my wife, um, I remember I, I went downstairs, and I was, I'd been working on it for two hours. My, my wife was like, you want me to work on it? I was like, well, sure. I'm going to go downstairs and give me the Gatorade, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> go ahead. 20 minutes later, that thing was together. <laughs> the bed was made. She had some music on. Some some Tristan's. I was like, oh, oh, what you do? You do something different? Because um, my hand was hurting. <laughs> and, and I did the same thing with the finances. I am financially illiterate. I mean, I just really... My, my financial standard is, is there money in that? Praise God. Yeah. Hey! I don't have a few of these. Church. Praise God. We have people that help me. Right? So my wife is the one that oversees our budget. That's, she's the one that oversees our budget. And she is much more handy than me. And I thought being a man was being handy. And I'm not a handy man. I'm, I'm not. And I'm big, so that's the problem. People think I can do stuff. Uh, her dad, her dad, her dad, the picture of Master, she's not here today, so I can say it. Hey! Her dad, her dad, so funny. One day, he's a Boston cop, and he was, uh, he was like, uh, you know, change change the oil. Oh no, 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 I said, I said, I said, no, no. I said, um, oh, I'm, I'm gonna go over to Jiffy Lube. And he says, Jiffy Lube. <laughs> He's like, you're gonna get another man to change your oil. <laughs> I was like, I've never put it in those terms. <laughs> I'm yes, I'm gonna get a, a, a man to change my oil. He was like, change it yourself. I was like, I don't know how to change oil. He's like, what you do is. Change it. <laughs> it's like, oh, we just change it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I spent the first two years of trying to pretend to be something I wasn't. Because I was putting over myself underneath this idea of initiating, I put all these cultural standards on top of myself. <coughs> And my, woman, my wife is a, is a much stronger leader than me in a lot of ways. And so it starts with mutual submission because God has designed men and women differently. They are intended for one another. So you need that person. 
But it goes on to say, for the men, Ephesians 5.25, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself, that is himself. <laughs> That's Greek. And gave himself, <laughs> gave himself up for her. Gave himself up for her. He gave himself up for her. So love your wife like Christ loved the church. Not the times when Jesus was praying, not the times when Jesus was preaching, not even the times when Jesus was eating. He's saying, the pinnacle of his leadership was when he gave his life for her. Mm. Yes. Wow. Sacrificial leadership. Come on. Giving himself. Being the responsible one that says, if anyone gets hurt, I'll be the one that gets hurt. If anyone's going through pain, I'll be the one that's going through pain. I will step up in leadership in such a way that I will be protective of you. That's the kind of leadership he's talking about. Not this whole idea, this garbage of your words don't matter. No, Paul would not have added the second part if it was just about men leading just because, they're, just because they have this makeup. No, no, it's men leading like Christ. And Christ is attractive, boy. Christ is attractive. I mean, dying for you. His leadership will blow your mind. And so, no, that kind of leadership is so attractive. And so then it says, in Ephesians 5, 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. And he even, because of the cultural standards of the day, he puts, Paul puts at the end, as to the Lord. And so the question before you just say, I'm going to submit blindly, it says you submit based upon the way you submit to the Lord. <laughs> so there is a very good chance that you could tell your husband, Jesus wouldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you know, I mean, we, I was, in, a, I was a, in seminary. A seminary student. We were going over this verse, and a seminary student, one of the women there, started to cry. This was in Texas, and while we were there, she started to cry, and everybody in the room stopped and said, what's, what's going on? And she says, well, I'm submitting to my husband in class. She says, but he hits me every night. And she says, I'm trying to wrestle with this verse because it says I need to submit. And the teacher says, the Lord would never treat you that way. Amen. She says, but how do I submit? He says, as unto the Lord. That's the standard of your home. Not his hyper-masculinity and insecurity. And this is, this is what we have. So let me just say this. A great man, a great man, will create in his home and in the world, in, in the world, around single women as well, he will create a pattern of initiation. A pattern of initiation. <laughs> this, that's my going out of history. Yeah, it is. A great man will create a pattern of initiation. Do you remember years ago when there was a young man who walked into he walked into a movie theater when Batman came out and began to shoot? Several of the men in there with their girlfriends 
these people, many of them not even Christians. When he came, the men got on top of their women and protected them from the bullets. And the men died, and those women lived, and the world celebrated that. But then there was a time where there was a ship that began to sink. And as it began to sink, the men began to swim towards the boat and push women and children out the way. And that was worldwide rejected. Because even the world thinks sacrificial leadership is a beautiful thing. If you want to understand what it means to be a great man, you are an initiator. And you can like colors. And you can like music. And you don't have to live by some substandard cultural definition. I know big, hulking men who lift all types of weights and they are passive. Because it is not the amount of muscle or how competitive you are. A woman should feel the comfort of waiting on a man. And she should wait in the sense that a man is leading. But women have to lead now. And they have to drag men to church and drag men into a pure lifestyle. They have to drag men. And so in many ways, because men are now waiting on women, it is men. See, you can be big and strong and be feminine because you're passive. What does it mean to be a woman? Women, I want you to hear what I'm telling you. A great woman is a leader, but she can also be led. Amen. Hear what I'm telling you when I say it. A great woman is a leader, but she can also be led. Far too often, because our women have been around such broken images of leadership, we feel the need to fight to be heard. A man glories in a woman being confident, but it crushes him when a woman is competitive. It is a beautiful thing when a woman is feminine in the sense that she knows she doesn't need to demand her voice to be heard amongst men. They are fools if they don't listen to a woman. The Bible says this last week, Genesis 2.18. Genesis 2.18. It says, The Lord God said, It is not good that a man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. He was talking about a woman. Now women, hear me when I say this. You will look at that word helper one or two ways. When you see the word helper, you might think of the movie The Help. When it was like a woman who was a maid and was doing things that a man could have done but just didn't want to do. You're the help. Go over there and do that. Clean up. But the help that he's talking about here is speaking to the fact that there are intrinsic weaknesses in men. That men are called to lead, and women in an equal way, because they've been made in the image of God, they are equal 
and yet they are complementing, complementing those men's weaknesses. And so in the same way, they help, but it is like the help that I get when I go see a lawyer who I can't understand certain things and I need them to speak into my life and interpret the world for me. No, not some substandard of help. But it's like, Natasha, help me fix this, man. Help me do these finances. Honey, there are things going on at work. Can you help me? And so in that way, we complement one another. greatest image of the Holy Spirit is that it's called a helper. And you have been given that kind of image. Today, my prayer is, as we spoke to hard issues, that we would still uphold the word of God and how valuable women are, how valuable men are, how valuable God blesses those issues that we're going through. But I pray that even this week, you would not devalue anyone you see. But you would lift them up. And that husbands and wives would lift each other up. And wouldn't this be incredible? No, no, it's not. This is going to happen. We are going to be a church where people that are transgender and gay feel at home. We will be that way. We will be that way. And we will work through it. And we will figure it out. And today, wherever you are, Jesus, the Son of God, left heaven and came to earth to pursue you. And he is pursuing you today. And I pray you feel his presence today. Jesus. Jesus. Even now, even now, let us not shrink back from the culture. Let us not shrink back from all these statements being made, God. Let us not shrink back. But God, we are upholding the incredible worth and the imagery that you have given in humanity, and we are upholding the word of God. We will not shrink back. God, make this an authentic community that blesses one another, that loves one another, that is able to walk through hard subjects together. And Jesus, you will get all the praise. Christ's name. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. We'd love to hear how God used this sermon to speak to you. Please take a minute to email us your story. Our email address is info at bridgechurchnyc.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at BridgeChurchNYC or visit our website, BridgeChurchNYC.com. Thanks again for listening to this week's message.